to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're looking at the case of Prudential Assurance Company Limited and HMRC, and the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 39. And it's quite a complex tax law case that we're looking at today, so we're going to examine the facts as usual, but then probably just focus on the main conclusion reached by the Supreme Court. The company is a test claimant, and so the real focus is going to be on trying to examine the state of the law between 1990 and 2009. At its heart, there is a disparity between how investments in UK-based companies are treated for tax purposes, compared to investments in overseas companies. And in a previous case, the Court of Justice of the European Union had ruled that this disparity was not allowed. To find out what the consequences of that decision were for the companies that had paid too much tax, another case was needed, and that is what we have before the Supreme Court today. Before we get into that decision, however, it is worth briefly going over how the law previously operated under the Income and Corporation Taxes Act 1988, otherwise known as ICTA. When you invest in a company, you can receive something called dividends, which is money that represents a return on your investment as the company grows. Section 208 established that when both the company handing out the dividend and the company receiving the dividend were based in the UK, then not only was the recipient exempt from corporation tax, but they would also receive tax credit that was equal to the amount of corporation tax that the distributing company had paid in advance, also known as advanced corporation tax. Altogether, the dividends plus the tax credit represented something called franked investment income and could be used to reduce a company's own liability to pay advanced corporation tax when it came to paying dividends out to its own investors. On the other hand, those that invested in overseas companies received no such benefit and so they had to pay corporation tax and were not entitled to tax credit. We have already noted that this disparity was illegal under EU law, but it was unclear how much tax and tax credit should be repaid by HMRC, and so that's where the Supreme Court comes in. To explain the main thrust of the ruling, it is useful to give a brief overview of the difference between simple and compound interest, and to do that we will need to imagine that you have, for example, £50 in a bank account. If we got 10% simple interest per year, then each year we would get £5. So at the end of the first year, we would have £55. After two years, we would have £60. And after three years, £65, etc. However, compound interest is where we basically get interest on our interest. So 10% interest compounded annually would still give us £55 after one year. But in the second year, we would get 10% of that, which is £5.50. So we would end up with £60.50 in the second year. In the third year, then, we would end up with £66.55. And it goes up like that. Basically, you can see from this that compound interest pays more than simple interest. So Prudential, who were getting money back from HMRC dating back many years, wanted compound interest to be applied, whereas HMRC argued in favour of simple interest. From a purely legal perspective, it was Prudential who had the better argument going in, as the recent case of Sempra Metals Limited and Inland Revenue Commissioners from 2007 had established that compound interest would be available in cases of unjust enrichment. 
Breaking down the definition of unjust enrichment, we can see that firstly HMRC have been enriched through the extra money that has flowed into their coffers. That enrichment came at the expense of Prudential, who had to pay more tax during the period in question. The enrichment was unjust, as established in the previous case before the Court of Justice. And finally, there is no applicable defence that can be used in this particular scenario. So that should be case closed then. Well, in actual fact, no, because the justices decided to unanimously overrule Semper Metals, and did so for a few good reasons. In the first instance, another recent case called Littlewoods Retail Limited and Revenue and Customs Commissioners from 2017 made it clear that in order to meet the EU requirement of an effective remedy, simple interest was sufficient. That alone, though, is not enough of a justification, and so the Supreme Court also looked at domestic tax legislation, such as Section 78 of the VAT Act 1994 and Section 826 of ICTA, that explicitly provides for simple interest, but were missing from the final Semper Metals decision. Another important factor is that Section 320 of the 2004 Finance Act gives HMRC a much greater degree of flexibility when it comes to the law of limitation and how swiftly a claimant has to bring an action. Cases from around that time, such as Kleinwald Benson from 1999, really highlighted how much of an issue retrospectivity could be in related cases. Even thinking about the overruling in terms of policy factors, there is a real issue that these types of cases could potentially cost the UK taxpayer billions of pounds, not simply by virtue of the case itself, but by that important distinction between simple and compound interest. In the Littlewoods case, that difference was estimated at around £17 billion, and while that should not be a decisive factor when establishing a legal ruling, it is undeniably a significant figure. Finally, the decision in the case also offered a chance to take another look at the law on unjust enrichment. We mentioned earlier that the opportunity to use the money that had been unfairly claimed as tax revenue represented a benefit to the government, but the Supreme Court pointed out that this should not be regarded as something extra beyond the simple receipt of the money itself. The best comparison is with a debt, whereby the late payment of a debt attracts interest as a form of compensation for not being able to use the money. But there is no further action for unjust enrichment. To whatever extent there is an extra advantage, it does not come at the expense of the claimant in such a case. In the end, HMRC was successful on this crucial ground, and while Prudential were successful on some of the other grounds, such as ensuring that the refund would be calculated according to the rate of tax rather than the actual tax paid, even this was something of a pyrrhic victory, as in a number of instances that mode of calculation will actually work out better for the government. On balance, I think that the decision to overturn the decision in Sempra was right, that is not to say that Sempra was necessarily an abhorrent decision that needed overturning. It had some logic to it and presented both a clear advantage to parties that had lost out on money and being punitive to those, including the government, who had mistakenly taken that money and gained a benefit by doing so. Nevertheless, the legislation does clearly point to an application of simple interest and the analogy with a debt does clear up the question on unjust enrichment. It shouldn't be underestimated just how much of a win this is for the government, who estimated that if they had to pay compound interest, would have ended up 
as much as £5 billion down. That figure also doesn't include the amount that will be saved when the decision in Prudential is applied to other similar cases, and so the legal fees spent pursuing this case were well justified. More broadly, the original decision was based on an illegal discrimination that favoured investment in UK companies. Whether such legislation returns after the UK leaves the European Union will be an interesting bellwether to see what direction the country is heading. On the one hand, retaining a parity with other countries and removing any discrimination will show that Britain is open for investment and that companies will have to compete on their own merit with no favour shown on the basis of nationality. On the other hand, if the government decides to try and protect UK businesses in this way, then it will portend a much darker future where investment both in and out of the country slowly declines and any ideas about competing on a global stage will be out of reach. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Special thanks this week goes to Dirghayu Patel who left a very kind review of the podcast on iTunes and I can only apologise to him for probably pronouncing his name completely wrong. Also a news from me, um, on the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver, latest video is on whistleblowing um, in the context of employment law, so check that out if you do get a chance. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye! <laughs>